one day I was just like, you know, there's a lot of like pipes and stuff in that parking structure. I'm sure I could find one that could maybe support like a paddle or something. I could just like practice up there. And I found one really heavy conduit and I was like, I can put the bag up there. And I did. What's up, guys? Today's guest is a tricker and b-boy that has amassed himself over 1.4 million followers on TikTok. Please welcome to the Jamcast, Sam DeFlyin' Hawaiian. What's up, man? What's up? Yo, nice to officially meet you, man. This is one of those rare Jamcasts where my first official meeting with you is via this uh, this broadcast. Yeah, it's been some time. I, I know we uh, flew by each other at the first Jam gathering, but yeah, this is the first time I said meeting. Hell yeah. Thanks for making the time, man. And uh, I see the uh, the shirt there you're rocking. Uh, a huge shout out to Brian, who is someone that actually uh, convinced me to invite you on here. I was a little nervous about asking you. And he's like, bro, you got to ask him to join. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's people. <laughs> and so how did you meet Brian? Was it down at UCI or how did you guys come into contact with each other? Yeah, actually. It's kind of a funny story. He, um... His sister was in the same club as me. She's an older sister. Okay. And I guess he came down to visit her one time. And then she's like, oh, there's a party tonight. This guy's throwing it. Do you want to come? And he's like, yeah. And he came and it was my party. <laughs> so that's how I met him. O'Brien. <laughs> no. And what club was that on campus? Uh, it was Chinese Association, which is actually where Cat comes from. Oh, wow. So you were a member of it before the revamp into Cat. Yeah, I was like, I was in that... I, I got to UCI in that in-between period when, like, comma was just ending and right before CAT started. That is crazy. And what what uh, what made your decision to go to UCI? What made you choose out of all the schools out there? Uh, all my friends in high school, like, always talked about UCI. Uh, I was really big in dance when I was in high school, and UCI is kind of like the dance capital of the West Coast, to be honest with you. And so, yeah, they all wanted to go to, here to UCI, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then oh, man, I went there. <laughs> No, I, yeah, I had no idea. It is funny though, for anyone that was like really into dance, maybe like a decade ago, you would really know that UCI was like a center for hip hop dancing. Like I remember back to like the Kaaba modern days and all that stuff way back in the days. Yeah, of course. And uh, Quest Crew, Victor Kim went to UCI. That was like a huge part of that too for me. Hell yeah. And where are you originally from? Uh, I'm from Maui. Okay. So that I was just going to ask you, I had two questions for you that I was going to ask. So I'm just going to throw them out there. Where did Sam the flying Hawaiian come from? Which I guess is self-explanatory. Yeah. One of my old crewmates on a BBA, which is like a B-boy dance crew at UCI, he called me flying Hawaiian and it kind of stuck. So I went with it. No way. And so at what age were you when you uh, moved away from Maui and what caused you to move or was it to UCI? Um, my parents aren't from there and they just wanted to move back to the East coast. So they're back on the East coast now. And then uh, I actually, when I was 13, I actually went to uh, the Bay Area to finish out high school. Okay. So in uh, San Jose, which is actually not far from where Brian's from. Yeah, 100%. What a, what a crazy coincidence. And so, like, I just got to ask you, like, what's it like growing up in Hawaii? I've only had one other guest on the Jamcast that was born and raised, and he was on the main island. Um, honestly, it's a great place to be a kid, especially uh, since I'm not from Oahu, which is like, it's not the big island, but that's like the main one that everybody goes to. Mm-hmm. So the island I'm from is a lot less populated. Uh, I lived in the jungle for the most part. So it was really cool. Yeah, it's just like get home from school and just go like explore and tons of animals and rivers and mountains and all that kind of stuff. So very outdoorsy. That is so crazy. For, for so many of us around the world, it's just like a, a vacation destination or somewhere that we see in photos. I can't even imagine what it's like growing up there every day. 
it's beautiful, man. It's paradise. That is crazy, man. And so the second question that I had to ask you along the name of your names, and it's something you corrected me on on some Jam Breakdown episodes back in the day when I didn't know how to say your username handle. Can you explain to people how to correctly pronounce your uh, Instagram handle and what the meaning behind it is? Uh, yes, the infamous Instagram handle. It's, uh, it's actually my b-boy name. It's uh, Fate Awaits. So F8 Fate uh, Awaits. Um, it's got the 808 in there because I'm from Hawaii and that's the area code for the whole state. You guys in California, you got a, way too many area codes. We got one for Hawaii. Um, so yeah, 808 for Hawaii and then, um, fate awaits because you know, your future might always be uncertain, but your fate awaits. That's oh. what I always used to say. So. Crazy. And when you say it now, it makes so much sense to me. I remember the first time you texted me what it said. I was like, Oh, I feel so stupid now. <laughs> it fully reads Fade Awaits. <laughs> yeah, don't feel bad. Nobody gets it. <laughs> oh, man. But that's so cool. And it also lends itself to obviously something that I feel like maybe not a lot of people necessarily know about you. And we kind of joked about it off camera, which is I feel like from the outside perspective, a lot of people associate you with being a martial artist. But from the stuff that I've dug up online, uh, I found that you were like a B-boy and a tricker way before any formal martial arts training, if that's correct. Yeah, actually, I still don't have formal martial arts training. I'm just a b-boy and a tricker. I just like, like a b-boy really lends itself to the same type of movement as capoeira. So it was really easy for me to kind of like emulate that movement style. So when it came time to like start doing choreo and stuff for martial arts, I just immediately leaned into that. And people, you know, they saw the hair and they saw the flares and they're like, Eddie Gordo. And then I just took off from there. Oh, 100, bro. And and you know what's so ironic is the only other guest I've had on here that was from Hawaii. Uh, coincidentally, he was a breakdancer also who eventually became a member of Quest Crew. Uh, so how old were you when you got into breaking? And were you in Hawaii when that happened? Or was it when you moved to uh, stateside? Um, actually, I was always into dance, but I never really did uh, breaking when I was in Hawaii. Uh, it was when I got to high school. That's when it really like took off for me. And I was like, yeah, I really want to do this. I was already like a athlete and all that stuff. And that was kind of like an old thing. Like, you know, when you're in high school, you can handle a ridiculous workload and extracurricular load. Yeah, it was one of those things. You do two and three a days without even thinking about it when you're younger. It's crazy. Yeah, right. So with that being said, like, obviously you, you got introduced to b-boying when you're in high school. Uh, what was it about that was so appealing to you? And was it something that you were good at it right away? Uh, and the only reason I ask that is, from from my perspective, you look nothing like any of my friends at B-Boy. You are way bigger. You have way more muscle mass. And just like from a body pers- uh, body standpoint, it seems like you're, uh, I wouldn't necessarily guess that B-Boying was something that would like, you know, be in your wheelhouse. Mm, yeah. Um, what appealed me or what uh, was really appealing to me at first was probably just the fact that like I've never seen a human being move like that before, you know, oh, yeah. like just come from like a regular or maybe semi-athletic background, so like running, jumping, and then you see someone do like a flare or a windmill, like what's the completely alien? And I was just, I was hooked. I was like, I need to learn how to do that today. And I did not learn how to do it that day. It took me a very long time because I was not good at it when I first started. I'm still not that great, but I just thought what. And was it something that was easy for you when you started or how long do you think it was into your journey when it finally started clicking and you're like, okay, like I feel like I'm actually getting this now? Um, probably like, probably like two years in is when I feel like I started making like the most progress and I fell into like a routine. I would start training like probably three hours a day back then, like five days a week. 
And yeah, I'd say that's when it started to feel like just part of my goal. Crazy. And did you have someone that was like a mentor for you from like a breaking perspective or are you one of those people that just like watch videos, solo trained, watch videos and trained on his own? Yeah, I was always a solo trainer. I still kind of am. I'm happy that now I live around like uh, Brian and the rest of California Strickland now I have like peers to practice with, but no, no mentors ever or anything like that. Uh, it would have been cool, but you know, now I can kind of be one. So <laughs> that's what's good. Totally. And now obviously like what we're seeing right now is, is you in your modern day state. Did you always have the same physique growing up and were you able to have like, uh, did you have like a lot of upper body strength growing up when you started breaking or did you get that and gain it over the years? Oh no, believe it or not. And nobody ever does. Uh, when I got into college, I was six foot and I was about 135 to 140 pounds. No shit. And just to put in perspective, how much do you weigh now? Now I'm about 215. <laughs> Holy crap, bro. Yeah, what you want to know what's crazy is yeah. that at my heaviest, I was 230, which means in college I gained 100 pounds. And was this a conscious decision on purpose or was it something that you like gained the freshman 15 and then had to cut it back or did you purposely gain muscle and weight? Um, it was a combination of a lot of things. Uh, I was in athletics as soon as I got into college. Um, the concept of like a meal plan at your uh, commons, like that never, I didn't know that it was just like, if you go in, you can just have as much as you want. You can take as much as you want. And then the real, the final thing on the coffin for me was the ARC, which is the UCI gym. Bro, this gym is so dope. Like, I've been to a lot of gyms and I've been to maybe three that are better than the ARC. So I just spent all my free time in there. I learned how to lift. I learned a lot more tricking. They have a bag room, so I learned like, uh, I didn't really learn martial arts, but I learned how to like punch and kick and all that stuff. So there's just tons of training, tons of eating. And yeah, I got big. Dude, that is crazy. It almost makes me feel like, like I missed out on a part of my college experience. I just talked with Brian at length about both of our experiences and I by far was so caught up partying that I maybe made it to the gym like a couple times a year randomly. And to hear the complete opposite with your story and how you transform your body is just absolutely amazing, man. Were you someone that lifted weights as an adolescent growing up or really just focused on it when you got to college? No, I, I don't think I lifted any weights until I was like 19 or 20. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, it was a pretty steep learning curve for, you know, like squats and all that. Yeah, squats took me a long time. I honestly gave up on deadlifts. I could not get it right. And I was like, I'm not throwing my back out for this. So. <laughs> no way. I, I can't even imagine what you look like a hundred pounds lighter than where you're at right now. Yep. <laughs> that is wild, man. And so uh, along the lines of that, was that something that you picked up right away freshman year and it was like part of a four year journey or when did you really start committing to uh, putting that weight on and changing your body? Uh, I'd say the biggest like chunk of weight probably came from freshman year. Like freshman year alone, I definitely gained like probably fifty or sixty pounds, and then the the rest of the like forty pounds probably came in the next like three years or so. Okay, was it more of a process of like converting uh, like extra fat into muscle and stuff like that, or was it like a consistent building over the time period? I mean, I went from just like a twig to someone with a lot of muscle. So, like, there was never, like, fat was never really part of the process for me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've always done, like, tons of cardio and stuff like that just because of, uh, like, the sports I do. Like, my background is track. 
That's what I did before like, b-boying or any of that. So I've always incorporated that kind of training. Okay. And were you a long distance runner or a sprinter or what did you focus on? I was a jumper, which means oh. that we had to do basically all of the exercises that everybody did. So <laughs> I think that's probably a big chunk of like where my discipline comes from because I hated, hated doing hurdle drills, but I still do them because I know they're good. 100. So. That, and I can attest to that too. I ran track and field for like 10 years, the junior Olympics. And the guys that were in the field events didn't get it as easy as everyone thought. Like they did not because they had to do their specialty plus cross train with us. So, Oh, that's wild, man. I think one of the crazier things too, and obviously I want to talk about some of your movement journey as well, but I'm still just blown away by the fact that you gained a hundred pounds in college of muscle. Uh, and now if I'm not mistaken, are you now a certified personal trainer as well? Yeah, I'm with a NASM. Okay. And when did you uh, take that on and decide to make that, uh, I guess, like the next stage of your life and make it a decision to get certified? Um, probably like two years ago, I was a bartender and it was like a really fun job and all, but coming from Hawaii, I know where hospitality gets you. And it's just more hospitality and I didn't want to do that forever. So I was like, ah, I may as well just like lean on one of my specialties since, uh, since I can do that. Yeah. Okay. And how difficult is it to get certified for people out there that may be thinking about taking the same career path or a similar goal in mind? It's definitely doable for everybody. I will say that like if you have athletic training already or like you've been some kind of trainer or like coach or something like that, you do have to unlearn a lot of knowledge to pass the NASM test because they, they're really strict about like things are only right if it's their way. So that was kind of difficult for me and pretty annoying, but if, you know, it's, it's a short textbook and you just read it and figure it out. Totally. And now I, I see you get tons and tons of questions on your TikTok and Instagram for people asking for workouts and concepts like that. Uh, and you're always really good about putting out tutorials when you can, but uh, for someone that wants to train with you, what's the best way to do so? Do you currently offer private lessons or personal training locally, or can they only contact you online or be a member of your Patreon? What's the best way to go about that? Um, I don't really use Patreon as much anymore. I have like a lot of online tutorials. I just, I prefer to do like one-on-ones when it comes to training people because I really like to cater things to the individual because I feel like that's how you best learn. Like coming from someone who didn't have like any mentors or teachers, I know how important it is to get information like um, tailored to you. So I really like one-on-ones, but if anybody likes, wants to learn like tricking or anything like that, I always just defer them to California tricking because, you know, that's kind of our whole thing. And the coaches are really good. You get me, you get Adric, you get Brian, and you get whoever else is around for all the open gyms. So, yeah. And for, uh, for those that aren't aware of that right now, if they want a personal train, is your main location down in Irvine right now? Yeah, Irvine. Okay. Super sick, man. And now along the lines of that, like we talked about your b-boying uh, history before we got sidelined with your incredible body transformation, but how long ago did you actually start tricking and how, how many years after you started b-boying did you fall into that as well? Um, I started b-boying and I didn't know tricking was a thing until I got to like college, but I just like doing flips. I, I learned how to corkscrew like in high school without knowing that there was tricking, but I believe right, it's 2021 right now. So I'm on year nine of doing all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. I did the math on by looking at some of your posts and I came up with nine years ago as well. And I think three years for like quote unquote martial arts training, so to speak. Yeah. 
But the martial arts, like all the kicks and all that stuff, that's, this is the third year, I believe. Because I think I started like late 2018 yeah. in like the uh, room with all the punching bags and stuff. And yeah, it's been three years. That is crazy. And what initially got you turned on to tricking? Was it actually seeing guys at UCI do it since you discovered it in college? Or did you see it online? What was your first exposure to it? Um, I was already doing it. And then I would see like, People would send me videos sometimes of like Sashomaru, the OG. Ah, okay. And I'd be like, yo, that's tight. But I never really like made that connection that that was tricking, you know? There'd be like a million things in the title, like, oh, ninja, blah, blah, blah. But then when I got to college, I met an Adric. Um, and then he told me all about like, tricking. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, 100% about this. And then the next year I met Brian, I was like, yep, I'm in it, let's go. No way. What a crazy story. It's almost like it's like meant to be in some ways, too. Like, I feel like some things don't happen by chance, you know? Yeah. By fate, by <laughs> We'll just end the episode right there, guys. There we go. It's good seeing you. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome, man. And so obviously you talked about how when you started breakdancing, you were obsessed, like, you know, five days a week training, three hours a day. Uh, did you put the same amount of time and effort into tricking, or was it a different story because you were balancing a workload of school at the same time? Um, honestly, getting to college, like, you have a lot more free time than in high school, I feel like. So I was training way more in college. Like in high school, I'd probably do like four hours a day if I didn't have track practice or whatever. But in college, I was doing like, like in five to six. No way. All at once or like spread out throughout the day? Um, yeah, I'd usually have like, I'd have like a morning gym session and then I have class all day. <clears throat> and then I would have um, either like BBA sessions or weightlifting or tricking training at night again. And then when I got a car, I started going to open gyms all the time. So, yeah, I spent a lot of training. Wow. And do you still maintain that same schedule these days, like in in the current state of the world, or is your body able to still recover that quickly? Uh, yeah. I actually probably trained a lot more during quarantine. It's probably close to like six, seven hours a day. I had nothing to do, you know. I was doing like a lot of tutorial videos for people and training people online. And I just spent the rest of the time just training myself crazy crazy and i and that's like a great segue because i feel like for a lot of people and even still the current state of the world that we're in uh quarantine was really really tough on a lot of people and uh i would say one of the people that i and not to put words in your mouth but i'd say one of the people that somewhat was able to thrive in this scenario and come out with more followers and more views and stuff uh, was definitely you i saw your platform continuing to grow throughout the pandemic which was so cool to see uh, and so one of the questions i have to ask you about is uh where is this punching bag that is hanging in a parking lot? <laughs> uh, yes, the infamous punching bag. Um, okay, so the story on that is that parking structure was for the gym that I used to work at, the UCI ARC. Okay. And uh, I used to, what they had me do was for the, like a month, the first month after they shut down, they would have me teach an online class at like nine in the morning and no one in my house woke up with 9 a.m. You know, they were a very cracking gym crowd. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'll just go to the gym and I'll hang out in front and I'll use their Wi-Fi. <laughs> I taught my class there. And then I was just like, one day I was just like, you know, there's a lot of like pipes and stuff in that parking structure. I'm sure I could find one that could maybe support like a paddle or something. I could just like practice up there. And I found one really heavy conduit and I was like, I can put the bag up there. And I did. And I started doing that three times a week whenever I taught the class and I'd be there all the time and make all these videos. And 
I don't know. I feel like that parking structure is like more famous than me at this point. <laughs> like, uh, I just put like, yeah, I just put like hours a day in there, just constantly punching and kicking that thing and trying to figure out new combos, Tekken moves, all sorts of stuff. And so I got to ask, like, what floor of the parking structure were you on? And is this something you had to take down and put up every time, or did you leave it there for a few months? Uh, it was level six of the UCI arc parking structure. Always is. And um, for a while, I would keep the stuff up there. But then um, I guess, like, a maintenance worker got, like, pissed or something, and he left me this really angry note. I was like, all right. But like in the note, he was like, all right, you can leave your stuff here. Just don't ever touch anything. I was like, you got it, man. Don't touch anything. And then I came back the next week and all my stuff was gone. I was like, ah, okay. And I just went and bought another bag that day. It was like 40 bucks. <laughs> and put it back up. Uh, so you have lost one bag to the, to, to the location. I have. I have. But you know what? 40 bucks for like a year and a half. It's not a bad membership fee. Totally, Doug. That is that is so crazy to me. I was I was just so curious about like how I was able to stay in this place. But I was like, it's a pandemic. Maybe there's just not a lot of people around. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think the first person I saw that like came by like while I was training was, I want to say it was like the sixth or seventh month. <laughs> like I didn't see anyone there ever. And then I finally saw somebody like walking by. And they're just like, what? I'm like, what? <laughs> that is crazy man it, it's even crazier here that's part of like the uci campus i assumed it was just like maybe at an apartment where you lived at or like close to home so wild yep. campus. <laughs> that is crazy man and now uh along the lines of it like kind of like you referred to and we spoke about how your following was able to grow incrementally throughout the uh the pandemic um, I would say the videos in the parking lot were some of the ones that were the most viewed. Uh, there was that one where you did like the three martial arts styles. It has like three and a half million views on it. Uh, I'd say another video that got a lot, a lot of shares though in 2020 was the one where I think you're in the UCI uh, bag area where you're training on the punching bags and you're just kind of, you do like the double wall flip kick and then you do just a bunch of crazy tricks onto the punching bags. Yeah, that was a, that was a funny story about that one actually. The reason that that one blew up so much is because people genuinely thought that I was NFL linebacker or, yeah, I think he's a linebacker, Fred Warner. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So people were like every sports, like sports center shared it, like everybody. I'm like, oh, Fred Warner training in offseason. I'm like, <laughs> wait, even, even sports center did that? No way. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> After two, they're like, oh, are we, are we cool to share this? I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, that's me, right? It's not him. <laughs> Dude, that's an incredible story. Holy crap. Yeah, I was like, how are people confusing me with like an NFL player? And then I looked him up. I was like, I do look a lot like him. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll give you guys that. <laughs> <laughs> 100 that is crazy i i just saw it like just from someone on instagram that like you know you we follow a lot of the same people and obviously after the jam breakdowns we start following you but i had no idea about that story that is crazy 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 and so uh my question for you is like obviously you've amassed this gigantic following on tiktok you have uh almost 16 million likes and almost a million and a half followers on there how long ago did you start posting on there and when do you feel like it really took off for you TikTok, I think I got that at, at like the uh, end of 2019, so like right before the pandemic started. Perfect. And yeah, I don't, I can't really think of like one video or moment that like really made it blow up. 
Um, it's just kind of like steadily growing like all the time. People like really engage with my stuff. I know that when I started doing like more book on tile stuff, because um, I get taught by DY Sal sometimes on Saturdays, a lot of Cambodians started following me because I guess they don't really get to see their martial art like done by non-Cambodians. And then when I started trying to do like Silat and mimic things from the raid too, a lot of Indonesians started following me. So I guess those two things are probably the two big like peaks of my following. Okay. That makes sense. A lot. And for a lot of people that don't know, uh, the Indonesian fans are amazing. They're super fanatical and there are so many of them. Uh, I, I just know because I have a couple of friends that are from Indo, like uh, Yoshi Sadarso. I don't know if you know him, but uh, yeah, he has amassed a gigantic following. And I, I went over there with him on a trip for another job. And when we were there, there were like fans like trying to meet up with him just like in between our lunch breaks. It was crazy. So I, I can see how that's possible. Oh, of course I know about the Yosh. I would watch all his stuff back today. Buffalo Boys, yeah. he's still one of my favorite, like, I don't even know what you call it. Fantasy theory. I love that movie. <laughs> so cool, man. So cool. Now, I think one of the other things that really started to take off as well that you've done a little bit more recently uh, is these recreations of famous fight scenes and putting them up there side by side. And I really think it's so cool because if anyone's listened to the Jamcast uh, when I interview famous stunt coordinators, the one thing we tell people to do is to find a fight scene to literally mimic it side by side, angle for angle, shot for shot. And it's something that you've been doing and having tons of success with. So what got you started on doing that? Well, where do you think I got the idea? <laughs> Is that for reals? Yeah. No way, dude. Yeah, yeah. Man, I heard you guys talking about it. And I was like, dude. you know, it can't be that hard. I mean, I learned martial arts on like the most ghetto setup ever. So how hard could it be to mimic something? Wow. You know? Dude, honestly, one of the coolest the moments. Part, though, is, I will say is that we have to find like scenes that A, don't have that many cuts, <laughs> B, don't have that many like special angles, and C, don't have that much slow-mo because it's so hard to make the slow-mo like match up. Wow. Like I can, as long as it's at a steady pace, like I can usually do it because I edit everything on my phone. I don't have like special software. I just, it's basically like Windows Movie Maker app, like, you know? No way, dude. That is one of the coolest things ever to hear that that's where you heard about it. Because honestly, I was like, dude, this guy's thinking in the future. Look at my man just doing it already. <laughs> oh, that is so cool, man. And so like when you're out there, um, do you have a cameraman most times, a third person? Or are you doing these tripod shots? How are you able to achieve these? Uh, for the fight scenes? Yeah, for the side-by-side -side fights, yeah. Yeah, on uh, Saturdays, we usually meet up with uh, like a bunch of just random movement people will meet up. Like we have DY who does Bokatao. Yeah. We got uh, Chibuzo who's a B-boy. We got Yusuf who did Wushu. Brian tricking, me tricking. Cozy used to come out for a couple of And we'd all just meet up and we'd make like a big mixed form. Okay. Just like we'd all have like four moves, all from different martial arts and it was up to us to like put it together. And then from there, we just started doing like little fight scenes here and there when people had ideas. And so I would just bring one fight scene that I could find every week we try to mimic that and then we each take turns like filming so that we because i feel like learning how to film them is just as important as learning how to like do all the moves and stuff like you have to you have to know the camera to be able to do to make your own fight scene one day like luckily we can just piggyback off of whatever what's already there but yeah we all take turns with that dude 100 percent. yo 
all of you guys listening to the Jamcast right now. Look at what my man did. He's living proof of what you can achieve. But yeah, man, I mean, that's so amazing to hear because like we like to say, uh, the cameraman can technically be the third person in a fight scene if it's done really well. So to gain hands-on experience is definitely the key. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's an overhead shot we did one time. <laughs> we literally just like taped my phone with a stick. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I always, I always love your captions when you're like hundred million dollar movie and we recreated it for three fifty. <laughs> the tree fifty budget. <laughs> I think one of the coolest things that I got to see, though, and obviously uh, you probably won't be able to speak at it at length, but maybe we could just touch on it briefly, is uh, a lot of the fights that we see side by side, you're performing them with a guy named Yusuf, who you just mentioned. Uh, and I think what was really cool was I think I got to see you guys both on set of a motion capture studio. Uh, and it said that you were able to bring him along with you. So can you just talk about that as much as you're allowed to talk about it without getting in trouble? I absolutely can. I have my three things that I'm allowed to say about it. Yes. It's written in my contract. But, um, I know NDAs, baby. Yusuf is the bomb. Like, he's he's one of my favorite people. He's he's one of the only people I've ever met who can try something and then fail it and then try and fail again like a hundred times in one day. And maybe he'll get it at the end and maybe he won't. But that next session, he'll try and fail some more and then he'll get it. It's like the dedication I see in this man is just, it's otherworldly. So, um that and the fact that we're both like we were both in that in-between generation for cat and comma yeah. we're both like kind of older than everybody else um I, I don't know that always just made us like bond and then when it came to the fight scenes he was always really interested in doing them he always has really good ideas really good input he's just like the best person that you can work with honestly he's like he'll always have ideas if you ask him he won't like try to like take over and he won't do nothing he's just like the perfect medium so when it came time to like do all these fight scenes and stuff, he was obviously like the first partner I had so that we could try and figure things out. We failed a lot. Like we have so many just videos that just, we never even published. Cause we were like, wow, we suck. But um, yeah, when I got approached to do the, uh, the video game thing uh, that I cannot tell you the title of, unfortunately, I was like, all right, I got, I got to have my man Yusuf there with me. So I actually broke him in on my contract that he has to like be there with me to like hold paddles or like, wear the vest or like be the partner and stuff. Wow. And from there, we're actually getting him his own contract to work on this video game too now. So he was my partner before and now he's like my coworker as well. Damn, yeah, Yusuf is the shit. <laughs> that's so cool, man. It speaks volumes of yourself to just not let anyone be left behind, you know, especially on an opportunity like that. It's a lot easier for people to become a little greedy in their own solo journey. So it's cool that you brought him along, man. That speaks highly of you. Yeah, I used to have this one neighbor who said, uh, he had, the, he had like a million sayings, but the one that always stuck with me was uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. And I was like, that's some proof shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were about to say, he said, fate awaits. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, no. <laughs> that would be corny. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. And so like, obviously, um, are you still working on the game currently? Are you done with all of your recording for it? Oh, no, we're going to be doing that for a while. We are not done by a long shot. So, yeah. We're going to have some good stuff coming. And the three things I can say about it is that it is a video game for Skydance. Okay. The video that did um, that Without Remorse movie, and I think I two more that just came out. I just love them over there. Um, and it's going to be headed by Amy Hennig, who did the Uncharted series. Okay. So, yeah. 
That's what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> totally, totally. And and just from someone that myself, I've grown up doing motion capture for over a decade from video games to movies and commercials and stuff like that. So I, I just want to get your perspective since it's probably like one of your first jobs like that. Um, do you see a difference in performing for jobs like that where you have to do things on command comparative to when you're training on your own? Do you find it easy because you've trained so long or do you find it difficult to be able to like execute everything on command? Um, well, they kind of hired me to like just do my thing. So uh, they yeah. would kind of just give me suggestions. There was a few things that I had to do on command, like, like walking and running and stances and stuff like that. Um, no, I, I think it was pretty easy to do on command. But like, I'm a pretty like easygoing kind of guy. So when it comes time for somebody else to hit something, I'm, I'm just right there. You know, you gotta learn how to be a good follower before you can be a good leader. I think so. Yeah, I'm just whatever it takes to get the job done is basically what I'm trying to do. Yeah. 100. Yeah, 100. And I think one of the other things that is cool is that uh, you don't always train barefoot in your videos. Like there's some videos where you're training with shoes on and stuff like that. Um, do you think that benefits you at all when it comes to doing motion capture? Because I find for some of our friends, one of the hardest things is having to execute all their tricks when they're not used to like wearing shoes all the time. Yeah, actually, I actually didn't even think of that until you just brought it up. <laughs> yeah, it did help a lot. Because like when I started in the parking structure, I think that's the first time I ever wore shoes when I was training, and it messed me up a lot. Like I also was not wearing great shoes. If you're gonna set up a bag in the parking structure, kids, uh, don't choose NMDs. All right, um, I know that that's all I wore, but that's just because I had them. So all right, do not choose NMDs. I wore right through them, no support, and it's bad. All right, but, <laughs> yeah, I think training in shoes definitely helped me with mocap because. I honestly didn't know notice too much of a difference between like the parking garage and like the mocap studio. Okay. Yeah, I think that is one thing that's unique to your training in your videos though, is that it's you've actually been exposing yourself to that practice. Uh, whereas, you know, some of our friends that are only used to flipping on a spring floor and being completely barefoot and wearing a tank top and shorts, the first time they get in that motion capture suit and you're like, Oh, this is a little tighter than I expected. Oh, I got shoes on right now. Like, oh, I got I to gotta do this on command. It, it, it definitely um, is, a, is a different world. So it, it's cool to see you breaking into that industry. Yeah, this has honestly been like a huge dream of mine. So I'm glad that I'm able to do it. Um, and yeah, I think the parking structure helped a lot for that one. 100. And so what is, your, uh, what is your current goal? Do you have aspirations of getting into the entertainment industry and doing things the way that you are by getting opportunities like mocap? Or do you want to focus more on the personal training aspect and, and coaching? Um, I've kind of just been going with the flow for the most part for the last couple of years, which is, I know, not great, but um, I, I've just kind of been kind of testing the waters and seeing what I like. Uh, I'd like to continue personal training, but I also have a lot of fun doing things in the entertainment industry as well. Uh, I got to do like a little show, um, did the video game, I helped out in some movies here and there, and I really like it, so I'd like to continue doing that. Um, I'm not sure I'll be able to make a, like a, a steady career out of it that I can survive off of right away, so that's why I'll keep doing the personal training for now. But yeah, in the future, I would like to just kind of all in the movies and stuff. Hell yeah. That'll be cool. And, and I don't mean to uh, to spoil it by any means uh, right now, but Brian kind of told me or he, he brought it up that he kind of asked like, you know, why don't you do stunts? And you basically kind of alluded to the point that you would much rather almost be like 
an action star in front of the camera as opposed to being just like a random stunt guy that's just falling and getting killed all the time? Yeah, I would like that. Uh, I know it's really hard to do, but this is going to sound kind of dumb, but like, you know, movie action star sounds like just the shit to me. Like, that sounds so cool, you know? Like, I'm not saying Scott Atkins or Michael J. White are B-movie stars or anything, but there are movies that aren't great. Those still seem so fun to be in, you know? Like, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, you know? I do. Like, uh, what was that one, Jiu-Jitsu? <laughs> that seems like a fun time, right? That's all I'm going to say about that is that seems like the best time. Totally. No, I'm glad I'm... I'm glad that you said B movie on your own. I didn't want to like put words into your mouth, but that's what Brian said. That he was like, he basically would much rather be like a Scott Atkins type guy, or you know, like you said, a Michael J. White, or someone that has the opportunity to be like a lead action actor star as opposed to just being an ND stunt guy number ten that gets blasted by Captain America. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Like, I I don't know if there's a word for it, but I always liked like the uh, adversary guys in movies. You know, yes. like in The Winter Soldier. It's like Winter Soldier. That's the bad guy. But like Batfolk, the beginning of the movie. That's the guy I'm trying to beat right there. No. Ah, okay, no. okay. That's far. No, man. There's definitely a lane for everybody, especially with like a certain look and a certain skill set. Like, there's guys that have made careers all the time. I, I mean, so this guy's not B movie status, but I would say that maybe this is like a goal for you. Is like Ray Park, for example, who was Darth Maul in Star Wars, and then, you know, he's Snake Eyes in, in G.I. Joe Retaliation. So he's had, like, very featured roles that weren't necessarily B-movies, but at the same time, like, he's just a featured character. So Exactly, just like that. Or, like, my one of my favorite guys ever, Latif Crowder, like, if, when he's not doing, a, a like, a double job, like Mandalorian, where yes. you obviously can't see him or the main actor, he's always one of the most memorable people in every film. I've seen every one of his fight scenes. I will like research them and watch them. He's just so dope. Like everything he does, it's just like dripping with flavor. I'm so glad you shouted him out. Um, he's, he's one of my favorite people in the world. He was on my first ever movie in this industry uh, for three months. Was I was on Twilight Breaking Dawn with him, and he was an actor on that while we were all stunt guys. Yeah, he was a, he's a featured vampire actor, and we were all stunt guys, but he still threw down. So Yeah, and you know what? I've seen Twilight Breaking Dawn, <laughs> and I saw him. Now I might watch it again to see you. So that's what I'm about. Yo, like, or another path to go is being like, you know, your partner in crime and jams, Aaron Tony. Also the coolest guy ever, totally. but he does more like on the stunt side, yeah. I'd say like Latif Crowder is like almost a character and everything yeah, he's in. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really know how to like differentiate those two properly, but yeah, they're both so sick. 100. And, and with that being said, like, was there anyone that you grew up idolizing or really being into like, uh, watching, you know, as, as you like started your journey in movement? Um, I've always liked Jet Li. Okay. He was always so cool in every movie. Yeah. Um, but I think the first person I really idolized, which is going to sound kind of weird, but you know what? I stand by it, is uh, Zhang Ziyi. Oh, wow. I was not expecting that. Okay. Yeah. And, and why would you say that, or, or what was it about that that appealed to you? I first saw her in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, okay. and I was just like, yo, she's dope as hell. Like, Michelle Yeo was in there, too. Also dope as hell. Yeah. But, like... I don't know what it was, just like her performance, I was like, yo, this girl is sick. And then I saw her in House of the Flying Daggers. Yes. I was like, what? I think you're a blind dancer? And then she did that scene with the sleeves and the drums. I was like, <laughs> so, okay, 
I'm I'm all over this right now. Like, <laughs> oh, it, it blew my prepubescent mind. Yeah, I can't remember how old I was. Like eight. It blew my eight-year-old mind. I was amazed. That is cool, man. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that's that's really really cool for people to hear that you had like a, a female role model, so to speak, especially in the action genre. Um, it, it shows like how impactful action can be, regardless of gender, race, or origin, or anything like that. Absolutely. That's cool. And so in the present day, is there stuff that you continue to stay up to date with? Are you someone that's like really into action movies and seeing what's out there? Or are you someone that's just so consumed with training that that's pretty much all you're, you're focused on? Um, I try to watch like newer movies here and there. Um, if they're like martial arts based or if there's like an actor I really like in them. Like um, I'll watch anything with Scott Atkins in it. I'll watch anything with Michael J. White, with Steve Crowder. Tony Jaw, which, man, I really hope he gets a good movie again. I watch because I just like they're just they're they're artists, you know. Yeah. Like they just command the scene that they're in. And I love to see it. I feel you on that, man. When I've only asked a, a handful of actors in my entire career to take a picture with them, and uh, Tony Jaw was one of the f- handful of people I've ever asked, just because of how iconic he was to our generation of movement artists, you know? Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah that, that, I feel like, uh, on Buck or the protector, whichever one came first was probably like the first, like big movie that I saw when it came out. That was like a martial arts movie. You know? Like I saw like all the other ones beforehand, but it was usually like way after the fact, you know, yeah. like that was like the first one I saw that like everybody around me had seen too. Like everybody in my school saw it and we were just talking about it for like years. Like that was insane. Totally. Yeah, for the longest time, I, I, I only equated Jackie Chan with doing these like one on 20 fight scenes. And then when Ong Bak came around, I was like, oh, my man is back in God mode, just literally destroying people with knees and elbows. Nonsense. Mm-hmm. So crazy. Yeah, he's an icon. And I think you'll be stoked to hear this. I don't know if you're aware of this. I only know because, uh, oh, I, I was wearing it earlier this morning, but uh, Scott Atkins just finished a movie uh, that's being directed by J.J. Perry, stunt coordinator, and it's with Jamie Foxx and uh, Dave Franco and Snoop Dogg. So he's going to be breaking into a mainstream A-list movie on Netflix coming out soon. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think I saw him post like a behind-the-scenes or something with Jamie Foxx. I was wondering what that was. That's so sick. I can't wait for it. Yeah. So just a, a, a small promo to my homies that directed in Stunt Coordinated. It's a movie called Day Shift that'll be coming out on Netflix, and it's about Jamie Foxx, who I think has like a, a job, and his real like underground job is like hunting and killing zombies and stuff. So he has like an underground crew. So. Okay, well, you know what? You had me, Scott. Now you really got me. And and, and I'm going to make it even cooler to put it out there. The movie takes place in modern-day San Fernando Valley, and it is the first time that Jam is featured in a movie as Jam. Find this movie right now. We just just dropping shit all over this Jamcast. That's so dope. Oh, my God. You're, You're... Now an even more world famous uh, <laughs> location, world famous or locations. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's really, really cool, man. So I think I think yourself and anyone that's a fan of Scott Atkins will really get a, a kick out of seeing him, and you know, a, a little bit of an elevated role, and probably being more uh, exposed to the masses. You know. Yeah, I can't wait. I I still can't believe you know he was in Doctor Strange. He was like one of the minions or whatever. I didn't know that, bro, and I've worked on Doctor Strange. What? What? Where is he at? Doctor Strange as a minion. And this man, this icon, 
pulled out the Giver kick on Benedict Cumberbatch in a fight scene in Doctor Strange. I was like, why have I not known scene? Go through. Oh my god. Is it, it was it? so cool. I was like, I can't believe he got that shit in there. I cannot believe that he pulled off a Giver kick in an MCU movie. Insane. No shit. I need to go back and watch it because obviously if he's doing the Giver kick, like that should stand out of my brain. Holy crap. All right, I'm going to go back and watch it, man. I stood up in the theater and I was like, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy, man. That's crazy. And now for someone that obviously surrounds his life with uh, so many things physical from breakdancing to, you know, movement and even your TikTok and Instagram being primarily movement and stuff like that. Uh, do you do anything else for fun to balance out the mind and the brain and the body at all? Uh, damn. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a pretty dimensional character, honestly. Like, all I do is train um, non-physical things I like doing. I like cooking. Same. Um, okay. Yeah, that might be it. <laughs> Cooking, I read and watch movies there and there. Transit. <laughs> uh, and bro, I, I, I don't think that's a wrong answer. In fact, if anything, I feel like that is an amazing answer because it really speaks to why you're at the level that you're at right now because you literally are focused on bettering yourself, honing in on your craft, and literally not too much outside noise beyond what you really love and, and care about. So I feel you on that. Yeah, I try to see it as good things sometimes, but other times I'm just like, wow, I kind of a loser <laughs> just do this and nothing else <laughs> not at all man not at all it's like yo we're trying to go to like a vegas trip day clubs and stuff you're trying to go i'm like uh i would but i got like two training sessions this weekend <laughs> dude that is sick though man that, that's a mentality that a lot of people should honestly be jealous of it, 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 the fact that you're not bored or burned out on it yet it is like a blessing man because I've, I've gone through burnout a few times in my personal life, my training life, and even my career life. And so to hear someone that talks about it with such a love and passion is, is really refreshing, man. I would be, I would feel blessed if I was you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hell yeah. So one question I got to ask, man, um, is obviously, uh, I didn't know about the hundred pound weight gain, which is still blowing my mind 40 minutes later after we talked about it. Um, but seeing obviously the physical prowess that you have, uh, and, and the statuesque figure that you built for yourself. One thing that I think really stands out to me is that it seems to me from the brief clips that I've seen that you have a relatively good amount of flexibility. Um, are you able to execute the splits? I feel like I've seen videos where it looks like you're close or you drop into elements of it. I just wanted to know how flexible you are combined with the strength that you have. Yeah, I have splits on, um, I have like good splits on my left side and I have like okay splits on my right side. I can still get a um, pussy to pavement as my coach used to call it. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. That's a, yeah, enjoy that. <laughs> um, I'm working on my middle splits right now. I'm pretty close, like four inches away. But yeah, I stretch like an hour a day. So That was going to be my next question. I have to do that for maintenance. <laughs> and do you do any other maintenance in order to recover with the amount of training that you do? Are you sticking to like a strict eating and protein regimen? Or do you like do anything supplemental, whether that's like yoga or theragunning or uh, foam rolling? Uh, yeah, I actually do a lot to like recover and do like prehab and stuff. Um, I have like two days a week where like the training, like the physical training, not tricking or martial arts, the physical training I do is like just for joints. Ooh. So I'll do like a lot of like joint heavy lifting and stuff like that with like really lightweight and just focus on form, flexibility and mobility. Uh, stretch like an hour a day. Anytime I have like open gyms, I always stretch for like 40 minutes afterwards when I get home. Uh, I do Theragun here and there, foam rolling sometimes. But uh, yeah, mostly stretching and like mobility training. 
Okay. And now, obviously, I'm going to ask this question, and I'm going to preface it by saying you don't got to blow your whole load here, especially so that people can still seek out your information and expertise. But uh, from someone that is a practitioner as well as being a certified personal trainer, is there any exercises or muscle groups that you feel like would benefit breakdancers the most to work on and then trickers the most to work on, if that makes sense at all? I do, actually. Yeah. Um, Your entire, like, hip flexor chain, you really got to like, you have to train that in addition to keeping it flexible. So doing stuff like uh, leg lifts against the wall, um, just being able to like train those with really small movements is going to help a lot. Uh, and it can prevent you from getting like sciatica, like a lot of triggers tend to have later on. Um, so yeah, conditioning those small muscle groups. If you're doing any kind of like boxing or like Kung Fu or something with a lot of like heavy arm movements, like anything that requires you to retract your arm fast, if you're doing that a lot, you're going to want to condition your serratus. Those are like the muscles that look kind of like fingers next to your abs. And then um, keeping your lower back, like your thoracolumbar, uh, thoracolumbar fascia, keeping them, I wouldn't say like super, you, would, you don't have to do like heavy deadlifts for them, but doing workouts just for that part of your back will help you with a lot of like lower back pain later on. So yeah, those are like three big muscle groups that I would say it pays to work. Oh, and your tibialis. It's like the long muscle in the front of your shin. That will keep you, if you work that out, it strengthens your ankle and it keeps you from getting shin splints. So that's really good incentive to work that one out. Totally. Yeah. And with someone that has the knowledge that you have yourself, uh, have you suffered any major injuries or are you able to kind of avoid them with uh, everything that you know? Yeah, um, I sprained my ankle pretty badly, like twice, like really badly. And I was out for like a few months on that. Um, I think I tore like my AC or my MCL last year. I was um, so I was just taking it like really easy and just being like really careful over that knee. That's kind of funny thing too. Like since I've blown up, like no one has seen me at a hundred percent since I've gotten like bigger on social media. But soon, hopefully, and. Uh, dislocated my shoulder like twice. That one's not too bad though. You just get it back in. You're good to go. And then I don't know if I want to put this one out in the public right now, but I'm actually injured right now. Uh, I think it might be an ACL. So no way. Was it from a trick that went wrong or just train cross training? Honestly, I don't even know. I did a gainer and I landed like square, like no lateral movement whatsoever. I have it on video too. And it just like, it snapped. Like this wasn't like a little popcorn ligament sound. This sounded like a bone snapping. It was loud. And yeah, I could not walk after. So I'm getting an MRI sometime this week and hopefully it's not too bad, but yeah, this might be my first time needing surgery. Wow. Well, we send you positive wishes, man. If anything though, someone that's uh, in as physical shape as yourself, you'll recover so much faster than the average human. So, you know, it, so. yeah, <laughs> man, everyone that I know has had uh, full recoveries from those injuries. I would say like 30, 40 years ago, it'd be a little scarier now, but with modern day technology, man, if you put in the work, like I know you will in PT, you'll be back sooner than you thought, you know? Yes, sir. Oh yeah. And so uh, with that being said, is there any advice that you would have given to your younger self to maybe save you some time along your own personal movement journey or anything looking back on that you would have told a younger Sam um, give me like one sec. Hold on. Oh yeah, bro. This this is not an easy question at all. <laughs> this is one of those that's not like, oh yeah, I lift five days a week. Yeah, take your time, bro. Um, start stretching while you're still small. Ah, 
a lot harder to get flexible when you're already big. Okay. okay. And that hits real home right now because I have lost a lot of flexibility and I'm desperately trying to get it now. Uh, and at my age, I'm way older than you guys, you and Brian. It is tough, y'all. It is tough. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. That's what I'm trying to get it now. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Now that's really, really cool, man. Uh, and so with that being said, man, this is a question that I ask everyone before we get out of here. And so I'm interested to, to see your take on it just based on your mindset that you've had and how you were able to transform your body literally in four years. So uh, where do you personally see yourself five years from now and where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Uh, yes, the famous interview question. Um, in five years, I just want to be doing what I love. I want to be able to say, I want to be able to look back in five years and say that I've got to do a lot of stuff that I wanted to do in the industry. Um, whether or not I make a lot of money, don't really care too much, you know. I've, I was, I've was grown up pretty poor. I've had money here and there. And it doesn't really matter to me that much. You know? I just want to be able to say that I've done like, really cool stuff in five years. In 10 years, I want to have the money to be able to be okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that there is a, a long-term planning goal, so that's cool, man. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, yo, more than anything, man, I really appreciate you taking the time out of uh, your crazy schedule to sit down and meet with someone that you've never actually formally really hung out with in person. And uh, hopefully this won't be the last time we get the chance to, you know, have a conversation. Yes, sir. I'll follow next time I'm up at James. Yeah, 100, man. So, yo, before we get out of here, can you just let people know where they can continue to uh, follow you and stay up to date with your own personal journey, whether it's Instagram or TikTok? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, kind of rarely on YouTube, but my handle is the same through all of those. It's just at BetaWeights. And yeah, or you can just Google that and try to I'm the only one that pops up for BetaWeights. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yo, guys, with that being said, please be sure to hit that like button, comment, subscribe for brand new episodes each and every week. Join us every Monday for Jam Breakdowns and every Friday for a brand new Jamcast, interviewing influential members of the movement community like Mr. Sam DeFly and Hawaiian himself. So with that being said, guys, got to give one more very special shout out. Thanks for coming through, homie. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Everybody out there, make sure you follow this man on Jamcast and Jam. Anything having to do with Jam. Thank you, brother. <laughs> and uh, as always, guys, coming at you, coming through, I'm your host, Travis Wong. Thanks for joining us here on another Jamcast. Until next time, we'll see you all soon. Peace.